Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Welcome to episode one of this, of season two of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I am a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Kawa board member. Before I introduce my guest, I would like to thank everyone for the support of this podcast. Uh, we've received so much positive feedback regarding season one. Uh, we went on hiatus um, as we approached the holidays last year, but I have been pinged many times asking whether we were going to continue continue with it. And I'm glad to report by popular demand, we are. And I also want to give a big shout out to Todd Schleckaway at Nate. I just got back from the Nate Unite conference in Vegas and Todd and his team did a great job. All right. So the purpose of this podcast is to expose our listeners to people in our industry that are doing great things. I am pleased to announce that our first guest of season two is one such person, Philip French of Verizon Wireless. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Hey, thank you. Excited uh, to be here. Excellent. Thanks. So we're going to be discussing Verizon's Super Bowl planning and execution to provide visitors to the game and the LA region a great wireless customer experience. But before we do that, according to the interwebs, you've been at Verizon Wireless for nearly 18 years, and your current title is that of Vice President for the West Area. Do I have that correct? You have that correct. And unfortunately, I worked 10 or 12 years in the industry before that. So that tells you how old I am. Um, and yes, I'm the vice president of engineering for the West. So that's everything West of the Mississippi for Verizon, both oh. fiber and RAN. Wow. That, that's about half the country? A little over half. Yeah. Half the population, at least geographically, so, maybe a little over half. Wow. So you are the guy. In the West. Uh, well, I, I happen to be the person that leads a great army of people that do great things. Well, excellent. And I've been working with Verizon for most of my career, and I can attest that's true coming from the vendor side. So as our listeners know, I'm a big comic book guy. Phil, if you can see my, my Batman statue back there. Okay. And I love superhero origin stories. So I always ask my guests... Um, what their own personal wireless origin story is. Uh, Philip, please tell our listeners how you got into wireless. That's a great question. You know, a kid coming out of high school, lost and confused, uh, joined the military. So I spent four years in the military and the Navy. And then coming out of that, uh, you know, look at, I was just looking for jobs in the newspaper and I got lucky and found a job uh, doing fiber optics actually. And that led to an, another job that ultimately left into, led into this industry in the mid nineties. Um, obviously the industry was just taken off. So I got lucky to get started relatively young in, in the industry, young and, in, um, where it is today in maturity. So, um, that's kind of how I got here, you know, a little bit of luck, um, and a little bit of, uh, you know, hard work. Absolutely. And I want to touch on this, uh, this Navy experience you had just for a second, because it, I have a personal story. My father way back in the early fifties, uh, joined the Navy mostly to go to college, GI Bill, all that stuff. Lucky guy. 
he got to travel the uh, the Mediterranean during peacetime when America was just on top of the world. But he went in there with the intention of becoming a pharmacist, actually. But he got uh, put into uh, radar and whatnot. And that just changed his whole life. And he ended up getting a, a degree in electrical engineering and worked in aerospace. So not that dissimilar. You probably didn't know much about fiber and whatnot when you got in the Navy and it changed your, probably your, uh, your life path. Definitely changed my path. Helped me grow up a little bit too. Give me a few years to get things square in life. Excellent. So um, we're not going to let that uh, first wireless uh, carrier go unspoken. You worked at Sprint and that was at a time I, I would attest, I believe that, that, you know, Sprint was really just getting moving and they really were building out that network and you were there for a while. Maybe you could just touch about, you know, the takeaways, the memorable times and the experiences you gained from that experience. Yeah. You know, look, I've met some great people that are still in this industry today, you know, across multiple carriers. Uh, I started as a technician, cell technician in 96, Sprint Telecom Venture. Um, so they hadn't even fully become Sprint. We were subsidiary. And uh, yeah, look, I, some of the best years of my career, um, some great mentors in my life. You know, a big thing in my life today is being a mentor. Um, back then, I had great people give me good guidance, uh, lots of great advice. So I uh, did that for a few years, went into the switch. Um, and then I, I knew I had a knack for leadership that, that coming out of the Navy, knowing that uh, you know, I was a person bound to be a leader. Um, in that times, you know, there was lots of growth opportunity at Sprint. So I had a chance to climb the ladder multiple times, you know, left Sprint. Uh, yeah, I did. I actually took a year off in between two stints at Sprint to do some software development and then realized I'm not smart enough for that. So I had to get back <laughs> into, um, you know, into this uh, industry, which you got to be smart in this industry too. But I was able to, uh, you know, catch it on a growth spurt. So um, and yeah, so I left Sprint in 2004 to come over to Verizon. Uh, had great days at Sprint, learned a lot, a lot of technical stuff. It laid a foundation for who I am as a leader today, for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Great organization, for sure. Um, so now we're going to get into our topic. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. And so, uh, you know, Super Bowl locations are announced years in advance. And I believe it was in 2017 or so when the NFL revealed that the 2022 Super Bowl would be in Los Angeles. So that was almost about five years, four, four, four plus years ago, maybe um, four and a half. So when does like a Verizon officially start planning on how to provide top level coverage for an event such as the Super Bowl? How many, is it years in advance? How does, how does, what's the, what's like the, what's the, Step one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and no, that's a great question. I actually think uh, Los Angeles slipped a year in between there. So um, originally they got behind in construction. Mm. Uh, usually the Super Bowl is in a new stadium one year after commission. So it's the second year of the stadium's commission. Um, and LA slipped because of a rainy season. We don't get a lot of rain in Southern California. Right. Uh, but we had a rainy season. I remember that. So you're right. It was around 2017. Uh, look, we probably, uh, you know, it's a loaded question. I could go way back, but I'd say where we get super serious about a Super Bowl is usually 18 months out. So we're knee deep into Phoenix and uh, we're already starting preps for Las Vegas. Um, and so those will be comprehensive plans in the stadium, around the stadium, trying to figure out strategies of where the NFL will be, uh, as well as, you know, major customers um, and making sure we're building the network to make sure we have lifelong 
experiences uh, and memories created through a wireless network for the consumers mm -hmm. uh, that will partake in those events. So it's a big deal to us. Uh, but realistically, where we get real serious, about 18 months out. Got it. Got it. And it's not just uh, the stadium itself. There's fan experiences. And in, in, in LA's case, because it's spread out, they're not even, they're sometimes miles away, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, look, they can be really tight and close together. LA, San Francisco, or, you know, I think San Francisco is 50 miles between San Francisco and Santa Clara. Hmm. Um, you know, that was 50, um, Super Bowl 50. In the case of 56, yeah, Los Angeles downtown, um, you know, through Burbank, um, there's a little bit of experience out in Santa Monica down into the stadium uh, that's in Inglewood. So, um, yeah, we get a good advance uh, preview from the NFL on where those events are going to be. Um, some of them, you know, you can figure out when you get into a city. You know, the, you know, Vegas is a place with a lot of con convention centers. So, you know, we have to be a little bit more on guard and aligned with the NFL because there's multiple convention centers. Mm -hmm. uh, but we know the NFL experience is going to be in a big event. She's going to be in a big uh, area. But again, the NFL is really good about getting us advance notice um, and helping us so we can get a jump on, again, if we need to do capacity uh, augmentations. In the case of Los Angeles, we didn't have to do a lot inside of um, the LA Convention Center because we host CES, I'm sorry, Mobile World Congress, America's in there. Mm -hmm. um, and that event probably draws just as many people as uh, the Super Bowl event will draw inside that area. So very little work we did there, but in the case of the stadium, a ton of work. Excellent. Um, and I, we, we talked a couple weeks ago in preparation for this call briefly, um, actually before the Super Bowl. And, and I was feeling it from everybody I work with at Verizon that Super Bowl is on everybody's mind. But um, before we get to your impressions of how it played out, uh, you told me that uh, you had a 70 person, I think I got this right, 70 person command center um, in Los Angeles that you, you know, that that was in operation. Did I get that right? It was a 70 ish? Yeah. So we'll have, uh, like in this Super Bowl, we had over, I think the final count was real close to 140 people supporting the Super Bowl. Um, now that's field resources. So people in the field, people in hubs, people, quite a few people in downtown, as you mentioned, the NFL House was downtown, the uh, NFL Live, uh, the, the NFL fan experience, all those were in downtown. So we had a pretty good sizable workforce downtown, uh, but a big workforce, about 70 at peak inside the command center uh, that were doing all kinds of different monitoring, restoration, traffic balancing, um, you, you name it. We're looking at the core, looking at the edge, we're looking at the RAM, we're looking at the fiber network. So we're looking at lots of different aspects of the network during that um, kind of nine day window mm -hmm. of when the fan experience starts to, you know, the day after the Super Bowl. Right. So in this 18 month time frame, um, which obviously is, you know, um, it's obviously uh, overlapping the next Super Bowl and the next Super Bowl. So um, how many people do you think, let's say, in the L.A. market or out of the Irvine office, whatever, um, touched the Super Bowl in one way or another uh, throughout yeah. that 18 months? Yeah, I, I'd say it's it's very much close to that 140. Okay. You know, some of those resources we brought in, but there's a lot of people, you know, again, depending on um, how wide you want to expand the definition of what you do for a Super Bowl. But, you know, uh, we had people touching each of the airports, um, making sure we had the right capacity solutions. Um, you know, we want to make sure that experience from when those wheels touch down or those cars pull into the lot to whatever the fan's doing, you know, again, that that network's able to um, 
keep up with the demands of customers. Um, so um, yeah, probably similar 140 ish, 150 people. Um, I'm probably missing one or two, but that'll be in that range. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. Well, though, it's, it's so clearly I mean, it's a big effort. I mean, I mentioned, um, you know, I got my teeth cut in wireless back in 99 through 03 air touch. And then with my company, we've been working consistently with Verizon since about 07. I, I must've missed the opportunity to touch the Super Bowl or something like that. I, I have been involved in some, you know, like events such as like the LA Kings won the um, Stanley Cup a few years ago. And I got a call on a Saturday morning from a real estate manager out of Irvine and says, we need a permit for a cow for Monday. <laughs> for Monday. Okay. But it worked out actually great. We got it because Verizon always wanted to cross their T's and dot the I's on getting the right approvals and not cowboy things. And we got it. We got an approval from the LAPD. But so that's the closest thing I've come to the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, maybe you could talk about just in the, the most simplistic terms, if you can, I don't want you to reveal any trade secrets, like what physical infrastructure on top of what is normally planned for, let's say, a Los Angeles or a San Francisco goes into servicing the Super Bowl. I'm guessing fiber landing on time, small cells, uh, macro mods. Maybe you can give some insight to what it means from a physical footprint standpoint to enhance the Super Bowl experience. Yeah, um, I'll put it in simplest terms. If you look at San, uh, the Southern California market, so you kind of come across that Ventura Santa Barbara line, you go out towards Bakersfield. Um, you know, that pretty much is our border for Northern California, Southern California for Verizon. And then you take all the Southern California, you know, 20 million people. So we're already investing a lot in that market down there. I spend over 500 million almost every year uh, in that market. So that's a massive investment already. So we put an additional 119 million in capital last year uh, through the first, you know, three or four weeks of this year. Uh, just an additional capital investment specific to the Super Bowl. Now, a big chunk of that went into the stadium. Uh, you know, we had started with the stadium system a couple of years ago. Uh, but in this case, we um, we had originally built the stadium. You know, when I say we built, uh, you know, the system that was built in there supported um, all our LTE bands and it supported millimeter wave, but it didn't have the mid-band spectrum that came along. So we had to go back in and make some augments. Mm -hmm. And along that way, we also uh, increased the millimeter wave um, capacity, knowing how many people were going to stream. And that was a good decision, uh, because, you know, we know how we performed, you know, and we know everybody performed, but we know how we performed at halftime. Um, and we wanted to make sure our customers weren't dependent on the Wi-Fi in there. Now the Wi-Fi in there is a solid Wi-Fi system. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we wanted to make sure that the customer experiences, and, and we saw a lot of these cases or testimony, and you could look at some of the posts that I put down where people were able to have multiple devices streaming, you know, recording video, watching the halftime show, recording it, having family live that couldn't maybe attend with them and being able to stream. And that's a big deal um, to be able to run that much capacity in that area. You know, it seems like there was, uh, you know, no doubt it was the peak of our traffic. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the peak of the Wi-Fi traffic in the stadium as well as, well as that halftime show. Uh, so, um, and, and we wanted to make sure customers could stream that. Um, so, you know, you're talking um, you know, multiple devices per customer with multiple experiences. So, um, yeah, so a big chunk of that back to that was put into the stadium, but again, you know, we're working on a project down there in Los Angeles for the airport, 
Um, yeah, there's a big expansion going on and a, a, a replacement of the DAS system that was in there. A uh, ton of ton of uh, small cells, you know, ton of investment into the single in city of Inglewood. Anyway, they've been a great partner, um, so we've done a great job of millimeter wave deployment. So again, a big chunk of it is BAU, but we really, what I say is, we accelerated 119 million dollars of capacity and capital into that year. So that's the easiest way to look at it. Got it. Now I might be going out on a limb here. I and you can correct me. I, I, I won't. Hurt, it won't hurt my feelings, but the way I kind of feel it with 5g is that this might've been the first real 5g super bowl. You can correct me in that, that more people have 5g phones that, than a year ago. Is that a fair statement? Um, look, I, I think the real first, you know, look, we had 5g uh, live at 52. Gotcha. Um, so, um, and, but the team did an incredible job at 53 in Atlanta, 54 in Miami and 55 in Tampa. And I hope I got those right, which I'm pretty sure I did. And 55, we saw probably the first reasonable amount of traffic. 54, again, Miami Dolphins are a great partner, um, saw good deployments. But to your point, and I do agree with your point from the perspective of we saw a lot of traffic on the 5G network because of the device penetration. Okay. And that's trying to make sure we educated customers. This is the first Super Bowl in my whole career. Now, I didn't, I've worked 50, 50, 49, 50, 52, 56, all 57, 58, 59. And we'll see what happens with 60 when that's announced in a few months. Um, it would be the first Super Bowl where I would be okay turning Wi-Fi off uh, because I actually think the customers would have had a better experience on the 5G network than the Wi-Fi. And again, I have a lot of respect for the Wi-Fi in there and for what the Rams have done with that entire um, system in there. So um, it's not a slam on Wi-Fi. It surely is not a slam on the partnership we have with the Rams. Um, it is just that's how confident I am in the 5G UW network when you're able to build scale 5g the way we are and start to see the ecosystem mature and the device penetration come through so um absolutely we saw a lot of devices uh we saw a big chunk of our traffic on 5g uw um so that what we call the ultra experience or ultra uh, wideband so um the mid-band millimeter wave in and around that stadium a ton of traffic a big chunk of the traffic was on the 5g network and that, that made me proud made me feel good that's great. It's great, great to hear. And so that kind of leads me to sort of the last segment of this um, is basically what, and you touched on it a little bit, but what metrics do you use to determine mission accomplished, a success? And also with that, how would you know how you stacked up against your competitors on the, on those same metrics? Yeah. Yeah, so let me go backwards. And let okay. me first thing, look, I got a lot of respect for the competitors out there. Sure. Um, I'm probably not one that gets caught up too much into I'm better than you. Um, a lot of people in the industry that I've been around, look, I have an opinion who has the best network. Um, I think there's a lot of publications out there. But again, I got a ton, ton of respect. Um, but with that said, we will benchmark our competition uh, in almost any mass calling event. Um, and we have that data. We use that data. Um, one, to make sure we're bettering ourselves. Um, but two, just in case, uh, you know, claims are put in that are um, substantiated or true. Uh, but it just gives us a good idea. It's a good benchmark. You know, again, a lot of respect for AT&T, T-Mobile out there. Um, you know, good people out there working in that. It, those, those companies, um, some of them are my friends. Um, so we benchmark. We, we have six walk testers in that stadium continuously testing during the Super Bowl. In addition, we'll bring a third party in from time to time. 
um, to make sure we're also validating it from a neutral perspective. So that's important to us. Um, we know how everybody did. I know how everybody did at halftime. I know who, who struggled, who didn't. Um, and again, um, you know, a lot of respect for both carriers out there and for the systems that are in there, the Wi-Fi system as well. Um, because that, that'll be all three of our customers potentially if they're, uh, can be attached to that Wi-Fi. So now, um, going back to what I look at most important to me. So, you know, traditional blocks and drops, you know, we, we have different names for that in, in the technologies, but, you know, attach, attach rates, stuff like that. So that's pretty traditional speeds. You know, we want to make sure that most customers have, uh, the capacity and the speed to do, you know, like we said earlier, simultaneous things like be on FaceTime and record or show data across, you know, a FaceTime, um, mm -hmm. WhatsApp, whatever, you know, data session you're doing, um, you know, that can consume a fair amount of data bandwidth. You know, when you add, if we had, um, we, what we think was close to 60% of the traffic in that stadium, uh, or customers at least, um, it's very consistent to see us above 50% in a Super Bowl. Um, so, and we plan for that, by the way. We plan knowing we work with Qualcomm, a lot of people in advance to, to build a network for that. So what I'm looking at that, I'm also looking at latency. Um, you know, so I want to make sure that that connection um, is got really low latency. Um, and that's important for lots of reasons. But ultimately, that's an important measurement in the 5G world, um, especially as we start to come up with more and more solutions that are um, dependent on ultra low latency. So. Um, we're also looking at the bandwidth, uh, from the fiber backhaul. So one of the things that, um, potentially could, could catch you if you're not paying attention is, you know, we had a, a, a 10 gigabit backhaul and we upgraded that to hundred gigabit, um, before the game at months before the game. Um, so not right before the game, knowing that we would peak over that 10 gigabit backhaul, you know, so if you're not paying attention to the, the end to end um, performance of the network, you can find choke points really quick in a mass calling event, like a Super Bowl. Um, especially when you get kickoff, you know, that we know that's a first data peak and then halftime is going to be the second data peak, um, where we're going to see the most traffic, uh, in the entire day. Um, and again, these, these stadiums, we're not investing for today, but we know that there'll be some world cup action, uh, in that stadium. We know there'll be Olympics. So the, you know, the capacity we're putting in today, there's going to be a ton of concerts, a whole bunch of stuff between now and 2028. And I'm sure a bunch after that. Uh, so, um, but again, so looking at bandwidth, backhaul, latency, drops, blocks uh, from a data perspective, still looking at the traditional LTE where we've got the voice, you know, people still make traditional voice calls, especially people my generation, um, you know, they're, they're still making voice calls and wanting to talk to family, um, mm -hmm. know that things like Facebook, um, um, WhatsApp, uh, mm -hmm. some of these data apps, people are going to run um, voice over that or have an experience. So it'll be a data application with the voice slash video. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to make sure we're testing for all those scenarios and that we've got the right network out there. So um, those are probably the most important. Uh, we probably look at 70 to 80 KPIs during the Super Bowl. Um, and we're going to look at that at a cell sector level. Mm -hmm. um, traffic balancing. You know, we're going to move, we'll move capacity. We can do, we have tricks up our sleeve to adjust capacity or balance uh, between sector carriers um, and different GNOBs uh, inside the stadium. We had to pull that off once or twice, um, especially when you start to see the traffic uh, shift, like in a place like the halftime show. But uh, we've been doing this a long time. We've got some of the best professionals in the whole world working here at Verizon. Uh, they're really good at what they do. Uh, they make my job easy. Uh, all I sit back and 
you know, you get to enjoy a game and watch the pride of a hundred plus technicians, you know, 70 in that room, probably another 50 or 60 uh, across the uh, Southern California market, gleaming with pride, knowing um, that they got to impact, you know, in that case, a little over 40,000 customers. Um, we made an experience, a lifetime experience for them. It's pretty impressive. And I often tell my team, and I know I talk a lot, you know, how often do you know, or how many people do you know in this industry where you get to impact 120 million people every day's lives potentially, you know, hopefully most of those impacts are positive. Um, but that's the kind of things that we get to do in this industry, right? So anybody in this industry should feel that way from uh, different aspects, you know, companies like yours play a huge part into building those networks for us and the capacity of the networks. Um, you know, look, AT&T, T-Mobile, they got big giant networks too. Those people should be proud over there. Um, what we do in this industry is incredibly um, special um, and we're some of the best in the world and we should be incredibly proud of, of not just Super Bowls, but just mass calling events and how we respond. Um, and, you know, look, I know both those companies out there that are my competitors are, are, are wanting to run me down and they probably even debate sometimes they have a better network. Um, and so that makes it fun. Uh, you know, it's pretty cool to be in this ecosystem like this that we get to spend the capital we get to to increase the experience of the customers to probably arguably build one of the best networks in the world yeah no put that was put so well and i appreciate it so much i mean i could talk to you for a long time so some of the things you 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 just said may prompt prompt some other questions but i'm i try to keep this at a reasonable time frame especially for someone like you who's very busy but you did i did jot this down you you mentioned the Olympics. I think that's twenty twenty six. Oh no, the World Cups in twenty twenty six, and the Olympics are in twenty twenty eight. I believe. I mean, it's kind of kind of neat that you. Those, it's kind of odd. The Super Bowl is almost a dry run for those. <laughs> in a weird, you, I'm sure you'll you'll build upon your experience towards those events, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, the Super Bowl is probably the most watched, and it's a busy event in the U.S. Um, you know, data shows that. But look, the World Cup will actually. Across the entire nationwide network, I'll see a increase in traffic during World Cup time. So soccer is a big deal. Um, you know, we know it. We're prepared for it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if the World Cup finals have been announced yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them in that stadium. I, I don't know where they're at. Uh, we'll be ready no matter where it is. It's not just this stadium. All the stadiums yeah. are 5G capable, uh, at least the ones uh, that, that we've worked with in the West. Um and so, uh, but yeah, then right behind that's Olympics and Olympics should be a pretty big deal too. Uh, I'm sure LA will show off this incredible stadium. I've never seen anything as beautiful. And look, I mean, there's beautiful, all, a lot of the stadiums out there are incredible. Mm. I mean, what the Vikings did in Minnesota is beautiful. Raiders have done a great job in, in Las Vegas. Mm. You know, I've been to almost every state. Well, I've been to every stadium in the West, West of, within my footprint. That's, some of them are a little older, but they still do an incredible job building great networks. You know, Lambeau Field has an incredible 5G network. Uh, which, you know, is, uh, you know, a big kind of college bowl looking place, um, you know, so, uh, but yeah, the, there is a, um, an incredible, we're, we're always looking years and years out, you know, and uh, knowing that I believe in the next year NCAA championships are going to be in that stadium. So, mm. uh, um, you know, for college, college uh, football, I believe the championship wow. game uh, is in there. So look, we're always looking, we're paying attention to what's coming. We're making sure we're building the capacity. Um, but it's just in our, it's, it's in our DNA to be, to take capacity and the customer experience, uh, super serious here. I mean, you know, it's embarrassing if a customer's phone doesn't work, you know, we take it that personal. No, it's great. I'm, um, I'm going to, I, 
I, I have great respect for all the carriers, all the tower companies. I, but I have to admit, I have a Verizon phone. It's 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 been a very reliable. I've had it for a long time, and I like to say that um, you guys are like the Energizer Bunny. You guys, you you guys just keep going, and you keep providing good products and good. And and, and there's not a lot of spasms from the vendor side. And I'm telling you that uh, positive feedback. Uh, you guys just keep rolling, and I think it, it's a great organization. And Thank you. And so with that, I want to thank you for doing this. This has been very educational for me. I hope it is for our listeners. I really appreciate it. And I don't know if you've got any, you, you, you've said so much. I don't know if you got any parting uh, uh, things to say. If you don't, cool. You've, you were a great guest though, Phil. Thank you so much. Uh, look, hey, I, look, the only thing I'll say in closing is at number one, thanks for taking the time to allow me to tell a little small story um, about a great company with some awesome, awesome people. I'm incredibly blessed to be a small part of a, a great team. And again, um, it's a great industry with a great ecosystem with some great partners out there. Verizon wouldn't be what we are without our partners out there. Uh, we, we push our vendors hard. We know it. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we push a lot of people in the industry to, um, to, to really high levels of performance and output, um, have very high expectations, hopefully do it in a professional manner. You know, I'd be embarrassed if we didn't. Uh, but I would tell you that um, it takes an army to build this network. And again, you know, I pointed out, I have a lot of respect for the competition out there. I'm not, I'm not one to get caught up um, in that conversation or gloating, um, you know, mm -hmm. working hard out there. Um, yeah. The people I know in those in the industry. So look, I'm, we're very blessed out here. Uh, hopefully everyone listening to this, if you have any questions, you can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm always putting something out there uh, uh, trying to keep the industry at least connected with what we're doing here. Um, but I, I will just say that, look, you know, all of us get to touch millions and millions of people's lives every day. Um, and we're very lucky to do what we do and it matters to a lot of people out there. So just keep that in mind. If you're, if you're maybe questioning yourself, climbing a tower in the cold weather while you're doing this, um, because it matters to so many people out there. So just keep that in mind. And I'm super grateful to be a part of it. I really do appreciate a lot of you out there that partner with me. Couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Philip. And in closing, I'm going to assume we're about the same age. And as such, I'm going to assume that you're an 80s music fan. So in honor of both of our advanced ages and our industry, I'm sending us out to the classic 1982 tune, Call Me by Blondie. So, <laughs> so till next time, I'm your host, John Coos. Be safe out there. Thanks for much. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks 
Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.